As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division amongst them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees We do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, 
And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not, do not may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So it's an important question to answer. Why did Jesus come into the world? And uh, it's a question that can often get lost in the razzmatazz of Christmas uh, and, and so on. Uh, and we can go off on the wrong track at Christmas times, uh, certainly. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, um, a theologian and minister, uh, once wrote... Uh, about the way that Jesus can easily be eclipsed by Santa, Santa Claus. And Ferguson says, like Santa, Jesus simply asks us, this is what people think, uh, Jesus simply asks us whether we've been good. More exactly, since the assumption is that we are all naturally good, Santa Christ asks us whether we've been good enough. So just as Christmas dinner is simply the better dinner we really deserve, Jesus comes as a kind of added bonus who makes a good life even better. He is not seen as the saviour of helpless sinners. So why did Jesus come? Jesus answers that many times in the gospel, but I want to draw your attention to the answer Jesus gives in verse 39 where he says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And while this became uh, literally true of this man, uh, in the case of this man, this man born blind in John chapter 9, it has a deeper significance for him and for those who are interacting with him. And I want us to, to think about uh, the significance of this, uh, this story. First of all, let's talk about the occasion. What's Jesus doing? And uh, at the center of the account here is a miracle that's, that's performed of a man who's born blind. He's blind from birth. He's never seen a thing. It's quite an amazing thing to think about. Imagine uh, having come into the world and lived... To, to manhood and never having seen anything. And he is healed. But, but remember that John is never writing simply to amaze us with miracles. Uh, there's always uh, something beyond the miracles themselves. They're always pointing to the identity of Jesus. They're saying, who is this man? And why has he come into the world? And... Uh, John says at the end of his gospel, uh, 
I write these things so that you may believe and receive eternal life. Uh, John 20, 20, 31 paraphrase. So when we read about these miracles, uh, we mustn't simply be amazed at their power and their spectacular nature, but ask this question. What does it say about Jesus? And how should we respond to him? John's story is set in Jerusalem. Um, actually, this, the setting is set back in chapter 7. Uh, if you look back at chapter 7, verse 2, uh, you'll see it is the Feast of Booths. Now, G- the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. Uh, Jesus is uh, now in Jerusalem at that time. And uh, what's the Feast of Booths? Well, it takes place in the seventh month of the Hebrew year. That's about September, October time our, in our year. Uh, our calendar, and it's the time of the second harvest of grapes, of olives, uh, and so on, and it's a week of festivities, and people live in booths or tents, they, they, and what they do, why are they doing that? Well, they're, they're doing it because they're remembering uh, the exodus. Remember when they were in the wilderness, and they lived in tents, and they moved around, and they followed the pillar of fire uh, at night, and the pillar of cloud by day? And uh, so this is a a week of festivities to remember how they've been saved as the people of God. A wonderful picture of God's saving grace. And they're to remember every year. And in addition to the the Feast of Booths and living in tents and having a a great time camping out. um, In addition to that, there was the ceremony of the Temple of Illumination. uh, the, the, The... the ceremony of the illumination of the temple. And uh, in the temple, so the, the temple has been rebuilt by Herod the Great. If you remember, Herod the Great um, wants to kill Jesus, uh, but he's still there. And he's, he, had, he was the one who rebuilt the temple after its destruction 500 or so years earlier. And it's a vast complex. And in one of the courts, the, the court of women... For reasons called that, for reasons I won't go into. Uh, but in the court of women, one of the outer courts, there were four great lamps towering above the people, above the court. And the, the, the ceremony of temple illumination would light these great uh, lamps in the courts of women. And you can just perhaps imagine the, the, the sense of celebration. Because... The lamps represented, as it were, the people of God in the midst. And you can think about it. Imagine it at night time. The people of God in the, under the light of God in the midst of all the pagan darkness around them. Of all the nations around them. And here the people of God are gathered under the light of God in the glory of His grace. And they would remember just how they've been saved from slavery, from oppression. The wonderful salvation that they had. And it's into this setting that Jesus now comes. And in chapter 9, verse 5, he says, As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. That's the second time he said it. Back in 8.12, he says this. Jesus spoke to them saying, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see the, how shocking that would be to the Jewish mindset. But God is our light. God is the pillar of fire that leads us in the darkness, in the pagan darkness of the world. And Jesus says, if you follow me, you will have the light of life. What an amazing thing that Jesus says. Now, 9 verse 5, Jesus is speaking to this man born blind. It's a one-to-one conversation. I am the the light of the world. Jesus is speaking of great things here. And it tells us that he speaks these great things to individuals. He says to you and to me, I am the light of the world. Now this man, he, he needed to see. He was blind. He needed light. And for him, no matter how many lamps you lit, he would never see anything. And so he was an, a man in great need, huge need. And notice, you may have noticed that the disciples were completely oblivious to his needs. They, they wanted a, they saw this man, I mean, just imagine it, this man blind talking to Jesus and these disciples around, and so, they wanted a theoretical discussion about who had sinned in his life. Was it him? Did he deserve it? Was it his parents? Did they deserve it? Very, quite a lesson there, isn't there? It's very, you can be taken up with very important sounding themes, but miss the needs of people around you. The real needs. This man needed to see. But of course he needed not just to see physically, but he needed to see spiritually. He needed the illuminating power of the Son of God to bring his heart to life. Now the other important figures in this story are the Pharisees or the Jews as John tends to call them. And these are people of course with power and influence who do not want their world to be disturbed. And instead of asking hard questions about the identity of Jesus and having their, their own hearts uh, examined under the penetrating light of Jesus, they start just raising objections. These are the the men that Jesus, in another place, describes as blind guides. If you read Matthew 23, you'll see time and time again, Jesus says, you blind guides, you're blind, the Pharisees. Was it that their eyes didn't function? Of course, their eyes functioned perfectly. But they were blind in a different way. They were blind spiritually. They couldn't see the identity of Jesus. And so they didn't believe. They didn't believe that the Messiah had come. They simply raised uh, more objections. And you notice how they, they, they burden this man and they burden his parents with an interrogation even to the point of... I mean, they would have put the, the parents out if they had confessed any kind of belief in Jesus. But this man who was blind, they put him out. They cast him out of the synagogue. 
heretic. I wonder if you've ever met somebody like that. Somebody who, who, when you get talking about Christianity, they will bombard you with questions. But their hearts are really not in it. They're not asking you for good reason. They're not seekers. They're not interested to find out about Jesus. They're just asking hard intellectual questions. And putting pressure on. That's what being blind is like. And so here's the Pharisees, blind leaders in the dark. And it's into this situation, of course, that Jesus comes. Declaring himself to be the light of the world. Who has come to bring light to that deeper darkness. The dark darkness of the sinful, fallen human soul. So let's think now about the significance So that's the occasion. What's the significance of light and darkness here? And when the Bible speaks of light and darkness, it's not concerned with physical light and and physical darkness, the the presence or absence of electromagnetic rays. It's not talking about that. Light seen with the eyes... uh, or the absence of light through the lack of a lamp or eyes that don't function properly. Rather, it's a metaphor for something far more significant. And in the Bible, light and darkness are most often applied in two areas. One is the intellectual sphere, how we think, and the other is the moral sphere, how we live. And so, in this intellectual sphere, you know, if you, if you ever spend time talking to a teacher about his or her work, You'll discover that they, you know, I've got two of them in my family, <laughs> teachers. Um, you, you discover that they get a great deal of satisfaction when uh, the, ch- the children that they are teaching grasp what they're talking about, what they're teaching. And uh, it's a delight, you know, it's, it's like the penny drops, suddenly the penny drops with something. Or as it were, a light seems to come on. And the children then suddenly seem to make rapid progress because, because now they can see the principle. So there's that intellectual sense of being able to see something and things dawning on you and you come to a realization of something. So there's that intellectual sense. Uh, of It's like the sun coming up, isn't it? Uh, the light dawns. But in the moral sphere, uh, it also applies. When there is darkness morally, then there is evil all around. Bad things start to happen. And it can often be baffling. We can't see why bad things happen. Because we cannot see. We just know that there's something wrong, something out of kilter, and we are powerless to stop it. But when the light comes on, as it were. We begin to see what's, what's going on. That's what happens when somebody comes to Jesus Christ. It's as it were, the light comes on. And it's not just that you see the light. And you're, you're looking at the light and you see Jesus. But because of the light of Jesus, you see everything else. You see the sin. You see the fallenness. You see the sin of your own heart. You see everything. Well, you see a lot of things. And over time you begin to see more and more. And that's the, that's in the moral sphere. 
And this is a spiritual condition, this, this spiritual blindness, intellectual and moral, that has come upon man, mankind. Paul speaks of this blindness in 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6. He says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying there that the light is in Jesus Christ. The proclaiming of the gospel into the world is the shedding of that light of Jesus Christ into the world. But people need to have eyes to see it. They need the grace of God. The greatest darkness that anyone can be in is not to be able to see the light of Jesus Christ. To be unaware of or to be ignorant of Jesus Christ is to remain in the deepest darkness, to remain in a state of blindness and to be at the disposal of the God of this world. Friends, some of you have had this experience of the light of Jesus Christ dawning on your soul as you have begun to understand the wonder of Jesus Christ and you, you have said, now I see it. Now I see it. Now I see him. Maybe some of you are going through that right now. As you meet on a Sunday like this. Maybe the eyes are, the scales are beginning to lift off your eyes. You're beginning to see Jesus, maybe, in a way that you've never seen him before. And your mind is being transformed as you come out of the darkness. And so profound is the effect upon your heart that you, you want to live a new life. You want to you look at your life and you see it clearly now. And you say, what a mess! And I want to live a new life. Light has dawned on your soul. So the coming of Jesus into the world is not simply a poetic idea to put on a Christmas card or to give you a kind of feel-good factor. It's so that people like you and me can come face to face with the light and have that light transform our lives. The light of Jesus Christ transform our lives. Well, this man was healed. Verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he came back and washed and came back seeing. A pretty remarkable miracle, which everyone finds hard hard to come to terms with, everyone around this man. But there's something much more going on spiritually, of course. It's not just that he was physically healed. It's summed up in that verse that I, I mentioned at the beginning, verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. We see also the spiritual eyes of this man opening up. Uh, I wonder if you just follow with me through the text, through the passage. Those of you who have got your Bibles open, how dare you not have your Bibles open? Shame on you. Verse 11. 
This blind man, the man formerly blind, says, he is the man called Jesus. Well, it's a basic description, isn't it? It doesn't say very much. He's a man called Jesus. Look at verse 17. He's moved on a little bit. What do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So he's moved on from just being a man. He's now a prophet. Verse 23. The second interrogation that he's undergoing. Uh, Sorry, 33. He says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he's moved on again. This is a man from God. And then verses 35 through to 38. Verse 38 says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You see, you you don't worship somebody unless you think this is God. This is God. So he's moved from being a man called Jesus to a God to be worshipped. Do you see the spiritual transformation that happened to this man? As he went through this healing. His eyes were open. The light has come into the world. But with the Pharisees, you see the opposite effect. There's a kind of closing down. You see, there's a, they, they come into us thinking they can see. They thought they knew it all. They thought that their lives were exemplary. Actually, it was, they were in deep darkness, and it shows it in two ways. Firstly, they, you see the prejudice that they have against Jesus. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. They just didn't believe what they were seeing. And again in verse 24, they called Jesus a sinner. This man is a sinner. And so little did they know that they were dealing with the righteous one of God. In verse 29, we don't know where he comes from. Uh, No name, no reputation. They just have no idea. They don't care. Easy to find out. So it's prejudice. They're just prejudice against Jesus. And then the other thing is they're just not teachable. In the second interrogation, the the logic of the man is, is unchallenged, but they say in verse 30, the man answered, why is this? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but anyone who is a worshiper of God and does, does his will, God listens to him. Uh, and he, he, he goes through the logic of the, of the argument so far. But the reaction of the, the Pharisees in verse 34 is, you are born in utter sin. <laughs> How dare you teach us? You would teach us unteachable. It's, it's a tragic thing when somebody gets to the point where they're unteachable. How dare you lecture us? They want this man to look stupid, to put him in his place, because they're very clever and he's not. But it's that cleverness that has blinded them to the truth about who Jesus is. So they're blind. And it's not that they miss Jesus' teaching. They're understanding what Jesus is saying. They just don't believe that they're blind. Look at verse 40. The Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? But in the end, you see, they prefer... They can ask the question, but in the the end, they prefer the darkness of their prejudice and the darkness of their unteachability to the light of Jesus Christ. And that's a reality, I think, that plays out today. 
we can be so clever in so many ways. We may have views on this, that, and the other, uh, but our prejudice, our unteachableness, our cleverness can blind us to the one who wants to bring light into our darkness. Friends, why did Jesus come into the world? He came as a light to the world. Not simply in an abstract theoretical sense, like light of the world is just a title that Jesus has. But he came as a light so that people might see. That they might see him. They might see who he truly is. And how he came to work salvation for his people. And then seeing him, they might come to him and be saved. And then worship him now and forever. Have you seen him yet? Have you seen who Jesus is? He is the light of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you open up to us the truth about Jesus Christ, that he is the light of the world. He is a saving light. Just as you were with the pillar of fire in the, in the wilderness, so Jesus is that pillar of fire in the wilderness of our lives today. We pray you'd help us to follow him faithfully to that eternal glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.